and I'm reading from uh, Acts 1, 1 through 11, but Luke, uh, we're seeing through Luke's eyes right now, and he's referring to the book, the first book he wrote, which is the Gospel of Luke, and now he is uh, communicating the Word of God to us through um, the book of Acts. So hear the Word of God. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so, although Luke talks about the apostles and the work they do, his eyes never leave Jesus, the one who is, who was, and is to come. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's really actually good to see so many of you here. Um, wasn't sure that was going to happen, so very thankful for it, actually. <clears throat> and Downs family, that was good for my soul. Very thankful to our Lord's faithfulness. So I've talked about this test before. It's called the marshmallow test. It's actually a very famous test, originally done in the 70s at Stanford. And it was a test for four-year-olds. And what happened is a child would go and be placed in a room with a psychologist who had a bag, a researcher who had a bag of marshmallows. And the researcher would go through questions, and as they answered them, he'd get a marshmallow, give a marshmallow as it went. But the real test wasn't that. The real test happened when, um, when there was a knock on the door, and the researcher um, would leave. Before leaving, he would say, 
hey, I'm going to leave one marshmallow for you right here. And I'll be right back. Got to run a quick, I guess to step out for a second. And if you don't eat that marshmallow, then I'll come back and give you another marshmallow. And that was the real test. One third of the students or young people or four-year-olds um, made it through to get their two marshmallows. Now, this experiment, in some ways, their shapes or form has been, has been redone a zillion times. Children have been tracked on their SAT scores, which are higher for those who waited. All sorts of things have been uh, said about this research. Countless articles, conclusions, ideas. Because it's about the thing we have to do so much. Wait. And check our anticipations and motivations. My personal scientific erudite assessment of this situation is that if they were gummy bears or almond joys, the percentage would be much lower. And marshmallows, really? Seriously. Today's passage is about Jesus leaving his earthly ministry, exiting stage, not left, but up. It's known as the ascension. But it's also about waiting. Jesus says to them, wait. Hoping, mixed with confusion, awe, and absence. The book of Acts, as Susan said, is Luke's sequel. It's part duh. It is a book that's about not so much the acts of the apostles, but the acts of the Spirit in and through the apostles, into the church. If I were to title our sermon series uh, in Acts, it would be something like, The Spirit Renews Everything. The subtitle would be, especially for you, Redeemer, a mid-sized church living through a pandemic and has suffered more than its broke, share, fair share of brokenness. And it all starts, as it always does in the scripture, with God's people in utter need for God to show up and do something. It's the standard operating procedure of God's people is that God's at work and we can't quite decipher exactly how that's supposed to happen. And so we must cling to the promise and the power that he does offer here. And, and waiting or patience in waiting is a, is a skill to hone or a muscle to develop or it's a, it's a virtue to practice, or it's a gift, or really it's all of those things. There's not much difference between those things. But the one thing we know is that it's not an option. I'm convinced of this, that waiting is the fundamental posture of the Christian life. It's part of kind of the presupposition of Christianity that we don't hold the power to change something. We can't make that something happen. We are fallen and we are finite, so we wait. The primary way of being in our world, trusting that God has the desire and the power to act. Now, waiting is obvious in this passage. First, it's a sequel, so the first movie had come out, and so there's got to be some time before the you know, screening of the second one, so there's definitely waiting in that. Um, but they've also, in, in this passage, they've been waiting for 40 days since the resurrection right? Verse 3 says that they've been waiting for 40 plus days or whatever, and um, uh, they're waiting on a promise to be fulfilled of being baptized in this spirit thing. More on that later. 
Um, and, and it's whatever they perceive that to be. But they've really been waiting for millennia, right? They're asking for when the promise of the Father would come to, to bear. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, right? So 2,000 years before Jesus, Israel's been waiting from the promise of Abraham. Then 600 years later, they get this king who's amazing and kind of a scalawag. And um, then they get there another 1,000 years before they wait for great David's greater son, Jesus. And finally it happens. Jesus comes and you got to wait 30 years because he wants to wait 30 years before doing his ministry. And then he does three years of ministry. And then he dies and you got to wait three more days. And now they've been waiting for 40 days after he's been resurrected. 48 days since they all came to Jerusalem for the Passover meal. That is one heck of a PTO uh, benefit. <laughs> waiting is the fundamental posture we have. And when he gets there, and he's after the 40 days, he says, we're going to wait again. I find this to be somewhere between entirely encouraging and utterly disheartening. We wait. You've heard me use the word chrysalis before, that cocoon state when describing where Redeemer is. Things dissolve and reanimate. All those little legs grow into wings. I think that's how that works. The pain and dissolution that happens are all for the purposes of flight, renewal, waiting on the promise of what will be and the power that happens in that chrysalis to be changed into something beautiful. That's where we are. Y'all, I've been here... This year will be, in June or July, will be 10 years. And you know I'm not a guy who has moral certainty about everything that we're supposed to do and how to handle a pandemic or social upheaval or the profound loss that we have. I believe a lot of things, some controversially traditional, some controversially progressive, some totally unremarkable. For the last 12 and 18 months, and more since I've gotten back from what my friend called the worst sabbatical ever. You don't always know what's next. But I know this. And we're working on all the things I'm about to tell you, talk about. We're really working on them. But we're not waiting for a strategic plan. For executive leadership from the senior pastor or the session. Not for a survey of where we are and what we will need to be next. No, we're waiting on the promise of the Father and the power of the Spirit to renew us. We're working on all those things, but that is not our power. We start to see it shape, but we don't bring it to being. We're waiting. God is at work in the chrysalis. It is His promise. And I know it's frustrating. Heck, I might be the most frustrated by it all. But alas, it's his promise and his power that aren't absolutely clear yet, but he will make it clear enough. I say it all the time, his word is a lamp unto our feet. I wish it was, you know, 5,000 lumen, you know, spotlights. It's just a lamp unto our feet. But we do begin to see. We just don't have it all clear. I mean, look at how the, the, the disciples responded. They, um, they're, they're not actually clear about the kind of promise or what the promise is. is. He says, wait for, Jesus says, uh, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. 
it's, they ask the question, well, is the time of the kingdom coming now? They're not, they're not even sure what the waiting on the promise of the Father is. And they're certainly not sure on the timing. So much so that Jesus actually responds to them and said, hey, you ain't gonna know. All of our questions to Jesus don't get answered. Deliberately so. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So he's like, you're not going to know. Just not going to know. So we wait without like clear timing of the plan, a clear understanding of the plan. That's wild. Jesus doesn't promise to give us all those kinds of answers as how is it going to work in the world? When is it going to, this part going to happen? And they're full of hope and wonder and encouragement and excitement about what Jesus is coming. And he, they still get the answer, you ain't gonna know. Neither does anyone else. It's okay. Because it's not the point. I have more plans and visions for how to navigate our days than you could ever imagine. I think about adding a second service to be a church plant so that we can keep churches, uh, communities smaller so that they can actually, uh, we can relearn to do community again. I think all the time about um, uh, uh, how we're going to re-enter into community again in smaller and smaller groups. I dream about staffing, outreach, congregational care, the scope and sequence of a curriculum for spiritual formation. how we can live more faithfully to be bear witness to the, to the goodness, truth, and beauty of the gospel of Jesus. All in a world that's changing at light speed. I think about that stuff all the time. But I can't trust all those things that are accurate or right. And, and I certainly can't have no power to make any of them happen. And neither do we. Neither do you. Because we don't make thing, things happen. We wait on the Spirit, the promise, the power from the Spirit. And here's the real kicker. And I, I, the scripture is 100% focused on Jesus. 100%. So is Acts in a way. But Jesus leaves. He is gone. He's not gone for good, and he's gone for our good. But he's not there physically anymore. And so the growth and power of the church is not with his pres- physical presence. I mean, they're looking up at him, and he's just floating up into the air. It's like when you have a grocery store balloon that gets away and you can't stop watching it. That's what's happened. I know this may seem strange, but I'm, I can gear you if you've been walking in certain Christian subcultures for a while. You, you were told at some point you're supposed to feel close to Jesus all the time. It's somewhat of this kind of, a, a, a kind of Christian myth, uh, a, a mystic spiritual lie, or some misapplied form of Christian therapy. Sure, sometimes by the kindness of the Spirit, you feel an incredible intimacy with God, as if he were there and you could hug Jesus' neck. Hold on tight to those times. But the whole work of the Acts of the Apostles is Jesus not physically present. Someone told me, my teens, if you aren't feeling close to Jesus, guess who moved? And it threw me in... I was just like as self-critiquing, introspective, um, uh, just fumbling all over myself, looking for how I screwed up every time. Finally, my counselor, because I needed one by that time, said, Jesus has ascended to the Father and sits at the right hand of the Father. Sometimes he communicates in intimate ways, and sometimes he leads from afar with dispatches and communiques. And that's okay. That's part of the normal Christian life. 
It was so freeing for me to actually kind of come to this like conclusion. Jesus actually is on the fa- sitting at the right hand of the Father. Okay. Now, all the great mystics of the world, and I've read lots of them, from Julian of Norwich to John of the Cross, for both Teresas of Avila and Mother, all talk about their relationship with God and their relationship with the Spirit, where it's sometimes intimacy and beautiful, and sometimes it's uh, communiques. Waiting is not always about the ease of the intimacy that we have during that. And just because Jesus isn't physically there anymore doesn't mean we wait without hope. Because what happens is, it's not that we just wait without certain things. We wait with certain things. And one of the most important things we see here, I love this scene, right? The scene ends um, uh, like a ton of great movies do, right? The celebrated heroes, the band of brothers, or star-crossed lovers, or shoulder-to-shoulder, arm-to-arm, or whatever they are. And they're looking up or off into the wild, beautiful whatever, right? And they were gazing into heaven as he went. But the disciples are a little bit more like the Griswolds when the, the light comes on, you know, in the, in the movie, you know, because the scene is interrupted. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? The angels or prophets or whatever they are, give them a quick rebuke. Why are you standing here looking around? There is stuff to do. He will be back. He will come back as he went. Don't worry. There is stuff for you. Don't forget that he just said, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. They were commissioned by Jesus to bring, live out the kingdom of God in his name, in word and deed. This is a great way to actually wait, to be on mission. When we wait, we wait on mission. Sometimes the mission is exciting, some new ministry. Sometimes it's mundane. But whether it's envisioning some new ministry or wiping a baby's bottom, we are on mission. We aren't just supposed to look up and around, waiting for Jesus to return, but turn our eyes toward our neighbor, toward our families, toward our God, the Houston airport, you been? It's huge, right? It's a big airport. I think I've told this story before. They had a bunch of complaints about how much time people had to wait for their bags. They hired all sorts of uh, numbers of baggers, and they got their time down to eight minutes, which industry standard. I mean, not understand the, the industry leader. Eight minutes to get the baggages to the baggage to the claim area. Amazing. And they still got complaints. They got complaint after complaint after complaint about it. And then the executive said, well, let's try this. It looks like that the people get there in one minute have to wait for seven minutes. The seven minutes they're worried about. So what they did is they created a longer path around. Made them walk for seven minutes and just wait for one minute and all the complaints went away. There's a difference between idle time and time with a purpose. Sometimes the bags were even waiting for them. So they had to walk longer, but they were on mission. This is what the Lord gives us. What does it mean for us? 
I mean, think of all the cool stuff we get to be about. I love that we are housing an adoptive family right now, that we uh, are housing Afghani family as soon as we can get the, um, the, the, the Hawthorne house back into shade. I love that we do um, uh, the Raw and the Moser Golf Tournament. I, I, I love that we have dozens of cross-cultural workers and that Debbie cares and for the education of all the surge children. I love that we sport Young Life and RUF. RUF at Wake and RUF at Winston-Salem State. By the way, new intern coming for Jonah, so we need to get behind her and uh, get her nice and full of support by the, uh, by the fall. But not just that. It's in the raising of our children in a very crazy and confusing world. It's learning how to be friends and not be taken over in your own mind and heart by, by tweets and, 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 and anger and, and, and just toxicity in the world. These are, this is our mission before us. I want it to be said of us as a church that we are driven by such an, a purpose, an important purpose, such an eternal purpose that people would see us and say, oh, they're not just living for, for now or for their neighbors or for the tyranny of the self. They're actually living for their children and their great-grandchildren, that they would be a different kind of people in the world, they would, that they would look at us and say, they really honor the other. They really honor this God they talk about. They really honor the, each other and people who differ, disagree with them. You know what threw the researchers off on the marshmallow test? When one little girl came back, or when they came back, she said, awesome, I get two marshmallows now. This one I can give to my brother. That's gold. That's actually a more powerful motivator than just eating more sugar. You know, it's not for the self, it was for the other. We have this, 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 this purpose, this plan, this idea, this mission for us that we don't have to live for ourselves. How wonderfully freeing is that when we live in the century, the, the tyranny of the self as the most important thing. But we get to turn and learn and live for God and neighbor. If you're like me, God asks you to wait. About 30 seconds later, you're eyeing that marshmallow. You grab that marshmallow and you eat it, and then you start like climbing the walls to get another sugar hit in about 30 seconds after that, right? Then you start looking around for synthetic marshmallow seasonings or pure sugar, or you'll even go with Splenda. It won't matter. All the false marshmallows in the world won't fill it up. The days of waiting can be excruciating, and we are in the middle of it. The brokenness, the pain, some of us facing death, which is why the next promise is so important. Because some of the things that we're facing are through no fault of our own. Some are completely our fault. But the next promise is that the Holy Spirit would come in power. This power isn't ex not necessarily experiential, like you feel it all the time. But this power is a power to have you live and face all that is before you. It can turn your fear into faith as you face all that would come and seek and kill and destroy. That the Spirit would come in power.
do you know what ascension is? We're, we live in a democracy, so it's not that normal to us. But an ascension of a king, it's a display of power. And what happens is that Jesus goes into heaven and leaves his power, the power of the Father and the Son to the Spirit, to work and live in us. Jesus accomplishes the greatest act of love and redemption of all time. And you could just see him going through the clouds and splashing onto heaven, uh, heaven's shores, right? Everybody staring around and going, you did it! It is done! The most dangerous, the most important mission of all time. He had faced every temptation known to man, but never gave in to sin. He stood up to utter hatred and even death, and he only responded with love, truth, and beauty. He could have called legions of angels down and destroyed all his enemies and did not. Instead, took the very violence that was against him in him in order to rescue us. He defeated the devil, death itself, and now he's returning to his ascension. What the Father welcomes Jesus' home, they send the Spirit out for us. Look, the marshmallow test doesn't work if the tester can't be trusted, if they're brutal jokesters or proven liars, but we have one who has called us to himself, suffered for us, and we can trust him with our very lives. And that's the power. The power is to bring light to bear to the darkness, to remind us again of his great love for us, to remind us again that all the temptations, all the heartaches, all the depressing days or thrilling days, all the confusing situations we're in, all the broken dreams that we have to live out, all even our rebellious acts, our very sin is not keeping us from the power and the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. That's the Spirit's main deal, to remind us again and again of the gospel. That he's lived and died and rose, ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. The Spirit becomes our great comforter and counselor, the one who is closer to us than our own souls. The Spirit lives in us and leads us, leads us back to the Father and the Son and the truth of the gospel, the reality of who we are in Him. The Spirit is the one that keeps us um, from, from being free to go as crazy as we want with our marshmallows, our extra fake marshmallows, and reminds us again to come back to what is true and good, the gift of sweet repentance, and the power to transform us, to actually change us, to renew us so that we might bear that witness beyond that mission of the kingdom. And it gives us power to rest in him, to begin again, to not run from but run to him, to actually, in the middle of our labors and our mission, to be able to rest, to enjoy our status in him, to enjoy the mission he's put us on. Because the Spirit's job is to remind us of the grace, the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that you keep us. Spirit, help us rely on you. Distract us uh, into, um, in, into the into the presence of, of the Father and the Son. Uh, interrupt our days with yourself, with a reminder of, of, 
of how much you love us. And remind us that everything we do matters as part of your mission. Remind us that this isn't about us, but about the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and the love of our neighbors. Amen.